You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. And it's time to get practical. (laughs) In Ephesians 4, Paul transitions from what he's doing in the first three chapters of Ephesians. In the first three chapters, Paul is unpacking in great detail these beautiful, rich, deep theological truths and insights about the gospel. That's what he's done over the first three chapters. And then in chapter four, there's there's a shift He changes tact a bit and he moves on to the practical application, the practical outworking of these rich theological truths, of the insights into the gospel. And as I've said previously, this is not just the way that it happened to happen. This is intentional on Paul's part. This is strategic. And it's something that if you look at Paul's other letters that he actually does often, he'll start with theology and then he'll move on to the practical. And... If we think about it, this is actually the way that it should be. It should always be this way. After all, as my ESV study Bible puts it, the exhortations of Scripture become empty moralism without this gospel foundation. We can't stress and think on this enough. The power is not in us. The power is in the gospel. The power is in the gospel. We are changed, we are strengthened, and we can live out the Christian life only when the gospel is our very foundation and the fuel that propels us on. It's the gospel that actually compels us to live out the exhortations of Scripture as led and empowered by Holy Spirit. The gospel is the thing that compels us to live joy-filled, authentic Christian lives. We don't try to live as Christians. We don't try to live Christianity aside from the gospel without that being our foundation and power because if we do, that's nothing more than moralism, just doing good, being moral, doing good things without the only true good person, the only truly good one who has ever been and ever will be Jesus as our foundation and guide. If we do it aside from him, we are just engaging in moralism. Does that resonate with you today? You know, that's why Paul spends the time that he does in unpacking these deep theological truths in chapters 1 through 3. And he does it in great detail as we've explored together. Paul understands that right thinking coupled with right feeling as the theology and the truths and the wonder of the gospel actually go from here and sink into our hearts and become real for us personally as Holy Spirit brings it alive in our hearts. When that happens, that right thinking and feeling always leads to joyful right living. Always. Paul's reminding us that right thinking, right thinking, And right feeling about God always leads us to right living for God's glory. And so how does Paul transition from the theology? Like what does he prioritize in terms of getting practical? He could start off with lots of things. He could start off with, you know, things about individual people or certain things that are going on 
um, in people's lives that, that really need the gospel to come in and, and bring hope and life and transformation. How does Paul start out? Well, Paul in Ephesians 4 starts out talking about unity, unity in the church. So before we jump in and explore this passage from Ephesians 4 today, how about we just pray and invite Holy Spirit to come and minister to us and move in us and shape us by the wonder of the gospel. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your incredible word. We thank you for wonderful, faithful people like Paul, who in and of themselves are nothing, I guess, in a sense. They're, they're beautiful people, but like Paul says, for I am the least of the saints. It's not Paul that is marvelous. It's you working through him that is marvelous. And so God, today, as we reflect on Paul's writings and how you are at work in him and how you you express your desires for what you want your church to be, how you want your people to be, and that it all comes from the foundation of the wonder of the gospel and the wonder of who you are as God. We pray, God, that you would just really bring these truths home to us and encourage us and strengthen us and that we would have the right motivation for right living, that we would not engage in mere moralism, but everything we would do would come out and would be fueled by the deep foundation and gratefulness and thankfulness for the gospel. So we pray all this, Jesus, in your name, and we give you the glory and the honor even at the outset this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 together now. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
Now, as with all of Paul's writings, we could spend weeks and weeks going through a passage even just like this and drawing out different aspects of what he's talking about, Old Testament things that he's referencing, all this sort of stuff. But for the sake of our time this morning, and so we can continue on and get through Ephesians together, we are just going to highlight three distinct things today. We're going to focus on three expressions of unity that Paul says the gospel will actually lead us in as his church. So here's the first. Paul says that the gospel leads us to have unity in our walk. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In the very first verse here, Paul touches on what we've already talked about in introducing today's message, that we're called to walk, to live out our lives in light of the calling to which we have been called, which is everything that Paul outlines in great detail in chapters 1 to 3. Paul's saying what I said earlier. You know, it's the gospel that actually compels us to live out the exhortations of Scripture as led and empowered by Holy Spirit. It's the gospel that, in a sense, compels us to walk in a worthy manner, to walk worthy of the calling we've received. And this calling, as I said just before, is exactly what Paul outlines in the last three chapters of his letter. As Matthew McCraw, a pastor from the US, explains, the Ephesians were far from God, without hope, lost in sin, children under wrath, not part of the family of God. They had no inheritance and they were not in Christ. Now the Ephesians are elected, predestined, adopted, redeemed. They are part of the family of God. They have the inheritance of God. They have access to the incalculable riches of Christ. They have been brought into a new into a one new unified people, and they are in Christ. This is the calling that they have received. So Paul says that they are to walk or live in a manner that is worthy of this calling. And just as the, that is true for the Ephesians, it's true for any of us who have received Jesus Christ as Lord as well, for any of us who have humbly come to Jesus in faith and sought him out, and sought him for forgiveness, and found relationship and life through Jesus. And as Paul explains in the next couple of verses, walking in a manner worthy of this calling is a truly beautiful walk to walk. It's a walk that glorifies God and demonstrates the true character of God to all people. Paul describes the walk like this in Ephesians 4, 2 to 3, with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Humility, gentleness, patience, and love. 
all very, very attractive attributes, aren't they? And they're all words that perfectly describe Jesus Christ. For Paul's original hearers, they would have been fairly confronting words to hear. And in particular, the first one in the list would have been confronting in their culture, humility. You see, in the pagan culture in Ephesus of the day, humility was not at all a desirable characteristic. It was not at all something to be valued. If anything, it was actually something that was looked down upon. It was viewed as a distasteful attribute. Pride, funnily enough, was actually more highly prized. So to hear that their calling involved humility would have been fairly revolutionary and confronting for many to hear. And for us today, you know, humility, along with the other ones in the list, while they seen as being good and valuable attributes for people to have and embody, they're still pretty countercultural, really, aren't they? Why is this? Well, I guess because they're rarely practiced in their fullest, most pure sense. I mean, think about this in our context. What's humility at its core? To not think too highly of oneself. That's what humility is. And I would say that's pretty countercultural in our me-focused, me-exalting, it's all about me kind of society. Wouldn't you agree? And what about patience? Prioritizing others, making time, intentionally setting aside time and actually spending quality time with people. In our fast-paced culture, which hasn't seemed to have slowed down much, even with a pandemic kind of throwing all our plans into disarray, patience is still absolutely countercultural. And what about bearing with one another in love? What about that one? To actually be willing to put up with other people's brokenness regularly, or even from time to time, to put their needs above our own, to love them like Jesus, to actually love them like Jesus. That's really countercultural. I would say you'd agree with that. You know, today we, we struggle to even set aside time to really sit down with our own family sometimes for meals and things, or even just properly be present with people, to properly listen to people, let alone actually bearing with one another in love. Here's the thing, friends. Here's the thing in all of this. When we walk in light of the gospel and embrace the calling that God has given every one of us and live the humble, patient, gentle, loving lives, we're actually playing an important part in his family. We're playing an important part, our part, in, as Paul writes, maintaining the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's in verse 3. And this is so important for us to understand. Often we think that it's kind of on us to create or build unity within the church. Well, we see here that it's not. It's not at all. Unity is not something God calls us to create. Unity is something that God has already brought about. God just simply calls us to maintain unity. Why is that? Well, God's already done it. God has already united the church through the sacrifice of his sons. Jews and Gentiles united into one new people. 
We are simply called to play our role in maintaining this unity in the church. And as Paul says in Ephesians 4, the first couple of verses, we maintain the unity that God has actually given to us through Holy Spirit by walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. There's something really beautiful about a church that work to maintain unity like this. And friends, I want to encourage us today. We can play our part in maintaining and contributing to the maintenance of unity. We can walk in humility. We can walk in gentleness. We can walk in patience and love as we live from that foundation of the gospel and as we allow the gospel to actually fuel us to live in light of the gospel and live like Jesus and as we invite Holy Spirit to empower us and enable us to develop these kind of godly characteristics in our own lives. And I've I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again today, just so we really, really hear this and own this and understand this deep within. The danger, the danger when we read passages of Scripture like this, like in you know Ephesians 4 to 6, all, all these remaining chapters we'll look at, is to, little by little, over time, start kind of thinking that we can achieve or cultivate these things ourselves. That's the danger. Well, let's hear this freeing truth again right now. You can't, I can't, but God can. You can't and I can't, but God can. Sure, no doubt, we join with God in our walk, and that does involve our own will. But ultimately, it's the wonder of the gospel and the power of Holy Spirit that actually leads and empowers us to joyfully walk well in this life. God's heart is for unity, and because his heart is for unity, you can be confident, you can be sure that he will lead all of us in unity by his power and grace. As Paul reminds us in verses 4 to 6, God's the one who has already done this work of unification. God's the one who's already done it. It's all come about. What we now enjoy and benefit from and contribute to is all from him. And we simply need to acknowledge that and accept that it's been done and then allow the Holy Spirit, the the space, the right, if you like, in our hearts to lead us in living and walking for Jesus. I'm wondering, friends, where are you at right now today in terms of your walk with Jesus? Are the wonderful Christ-like attributes, the characteristics of humility, gentleness, patience and love growing in your life as you continually surrender to Holy Spirit? Well, I just want to encourage you, wherever it is you find yourself today, be encouraged. Jesus longs to take us. Jesus longs to take you deeper, deeper in his way of love and will if we, if you, allow Holy Spirit the right in your heart, he will continue to shape you and empower you to play your part in keeping the unity of the Spirit. You can be confident of that. You can be sure of that. 
That's his heart for everyone and that's his heart for you. So invite him in today. Invite him in. Even for the very first time, if you're seeking spiritual truth today, invite him in and watch as God outworks his power in your life. There's nothing like letting go and letting Holy Spirit have control, have way in your heart and shape you in Christ-liking, not likeness. So I encourage you, friends, do that. Let go and allow the Holy Spirit to move through you. So that's the first. Paul says that the gospel leads us to have unity in our walk. And here's the second. Paul teaches that in Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, that not only does the gospel lead us to have unity in our walk, it also leads us to have unity in our gifts. In Ephesians 4, 7 to 13, Paul writes, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In verses 7 to 8, we read, we discover that God has given all of us gifts. Not some, but each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's in verse 7. Passages elsewhere in the Bible, such as in 1 Corinthians and 1 Peter, for example, they make this clear and they outline all the different and diverse gifts that God gives to his children for the benefit of his church. He gives individual gifts for the holistic benefit of his family. All of us have been gifted. Maybe you don't realize this, but you have been gifted by God in certain ways so that you can serve in ministry and play your unique part in God's united church. And after a slight detour where, where Paul touches on Jesus ascending and descending and his victorious work in doing all of that, we won't go into that today. Paul lists some gifts he has given for the good of the church. So let's read Ephesians 4.11. Paul writes, And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, I'm not going to go into what these different offices mean, what they're about, or even what place they have in the church today, because that's not really the point. The point of all of these gifts is that made clear in verses 11 to 13. So let's read that now. And he gave all of these gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why did God give these gifts? to the early church in the form of these particular offices to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up 
the body of Christ and to see people grow in their knowledge and in Jesus' likeness. This is why God gave gifts in the form of the early church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers then and that's why he gives gifts to individual members of his church today as well to equip the saints, every believer from the youngest to the most mature for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ, to see people grow in knowledge and in Jesus' likeness. Now, let me, let me be clear here. Some of us, some of us have been gifted by God and have been called to play more of a leadership role in this kind of ministry. But all of us, every single one of us, have been called to play an important role in this divine calling. You know, sometimes it's easy for us if we're not in a position of leadership to kind of think, oh, well, it's someone else's responsibility to do that thing over there. You might think, oh, you know, one of the pastors will sort that out or oh, one of the leaders will surely notice that that's going on for that person or I'll leave that to so-and-so to follow up. But that's not how it's ideally meant to work in God's church. No question. There's certain functions, certain responsibilities that are reserved for leaders and that is backed up by the counsel of Scripture. But there are plenty of opportunities that arise in the life of the global church and in the life of a local church like ours that we all can and should all seek to help out with. As 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 10 to 11 says, Now as God's children, we're called to live together with him, being Jesus, and encourage one another and build each other up. And we can encourage one another and build one another up in so many ways. You know, when we hear of someone who's really struggling or is unwell in our community, we could make a meal for them. We could go around there and spend some time with them. We could pray with them while we drop off that meal and also go away and commit to praying for them too. As we do that, we live in light of the gospel and our actions are in line with the gospel. When we become aware of a, a couple in our church who maybe are having some marital difficulties, we can go into battle for them. We can intercede for them in the spiritual realm by praying and asking God to bring reconciliation and healing and hope into their marriage relationship. When we do that, we're living in light of the gospel and our actions are in line with the gospel. When we see the love of God really just shining through someone in our church community, we could just notice that and think, wow, that's so beautiful to see. Or we could actually use that as an opportunity to encourage them and say, man, I just see you. You look like you are on fire right now. And I just want to encourage you. Keep on doing what you are doing. It's beautiful to see God at work in your life. And when we do this, we're living in light of the gospel and our actions, our hearts operating in line with the gospel. In so many ways, we part in this great work. We can all, no matter how it is we've been gifted, because we've all been gifted with gifts by God, haven't we? As I said before, we can all use our gifts. And when we do, with the gospel as our sure foundation, we glorify God, 
we are a great encouragement to other people and we actually continue to walk a rich and fulfilling life and walk in life ourselves. I'm wondering, friends, how has God gifted you? Are you currently using the gifts that God has given you to encourage and build up others in our church community? How might God be stirring you to maintain unity in our church community through using the gifts that he has blessed you with? I want to encourage you, invite Holy Spirit to guide you in one way this week, one way this week, that you could use one of the gifts or multiple gifts that God has given you to encourage and bless someone from our church community. I'm sure that you will be a blessing as you obey Holy Spirit and do what he asks you to do. And not only that, but you will be abundantly blessed too as you choose to love God and love others this week in whatever way he calls you to. Okay, so to recap, Paul teaches that the gospel leads us to have unity in our walk. This is the second point, unity in our gifts. And here's the third and final point that I want to draw out today. Paul says that the gospel leads us to have unity in our growth. Reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. Paul writes, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What's the end result in all of this? Well, Paul says that we will no longer be like little children. We won't be like children any longer. You might be thinking, well, hang on a minute. Doesn't Jesus say that we are to be like little children or to have faith like little children? Is Paul kind of going against what Jesus actually taught? Well, no, Paul's not actually referring to faith here when he uses this idea of a child. Rather, he is actually talking about immaturity in terms of Christian doctrine and understanding. As my ESV study Bible explains it in commenting specifically on verse 14, it says, immaturity in the truths of Christian doctrine makes the church like gullible children, tossed helplessly by the waves and wind of cunning and deceitful schemes of false teachers. None of us want to be gullible children, I'm sure. And we mature in faith and we guard ourselves from potential influence from false teachers who try to lead us astray. And we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, by speaking the truth in love. Verse 15. And it's this truth the wonderful truth of the gospel, the wonderful truth of the gospel that actually fuels our continual growth in Christian maturity as we surrender to and allow the head, Jesus Christ, to lead, direct, and guide us in every aspect of our lives. 
And as we joyfully do this, because it is a joy when the gospel is our foundation, when we're living in light of the gospel, empowered by the love of God, as we joyfully do this, as every single one of us in his family joyfully do this, something truly remarkable happens. Something truly beautiful happens. The whole body actually works properly. And the whole body grows and builds itself up in love. Paul describes this in Ephesians 4 and verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Isn't this a beautiful thing, friends? Isn't this a beautiful thing? Isn't it an incredible privilege that we've all been given to play a crucial role in seeing God's church flourish as a beautiful and united community of faith, hope, and love. God's heart is always to see a beautiful, diverse, and united church flourish with the gospel as their foundation. And he wants to see our church, he wants to see Liberty Family Church continue to grow, to flourish as a beautiful, diverse, and united community of faith. And the question is, the question is, are you willing to play your part in this great work? Will you allow the gospel to lead you in joyfully playing the part that he's calling you to play for unity's sake in his church right here? If you're here today and you haven't yet reached out to Jesus in faith, I encourage you now is the perfect time to do that. He is ready and waiting. He loves to receive anyone who would humbly approach him, recognize their desperate need for him and put, choose to put their faith in him. If that's you today, I just encourage you, reach out to him. The wonder of the gospel is that God promises that if you do that, you will be made right with God. But not only that, you will be able to receive the abundant life that he offers to anyone who he becomes a child of God, is made into his spiritual family, and he will fulfill you and continue to fulfill you with a purpose greater than living for yourself, and he will give you a place and a part to play in his divine purposes in community with other great people in a local church. So I want to encourage you, if that's you today, there is nothing like being in relationship with Jesus. And if you don't know him today, will you just turn to him today? Turn to him in faith today. He loves you and he wants you to experience freedom and hope and abundant life that's only found through relationship with Jesus. So I want to, I want to encourage you, open yourself to that. Receive that this morning right now. And if you're here today and, and you do know Jesus, I just want to say, be encouraged today. Be encouraged. You've got an important role to play in God's family. God has equipped and empowered you with every single thing, every gift, every resource, everything you need to fulfill and complete the things that he has called you to fulfill and complete and engage and spend your life serving him in. That is good news. So keep encouraging, keep building up the church in the specific ways that he has called you to. And if for whatever reason you've, you've neglected this call or just haven't given it your full heart, the full passion that maybe you have in years ago, I just want to encourage you, it's never too late 
to, to get back on the bike, so to speak. It's never too late to get off the bench and get on the field and play your part in God's team. Commit afresh right now. Commit afresh to playing your part in God's divine plans in fostering and maintaining unity in our local church and by in turn in God's global church in and seeing his desire that the church would be united and one representing the beautiful relationship and unity that that Jesus has with his father and holy spirit and all that kind of thing so just encourage you this morning invite holy spirit to really guide you and lead you in how he's calling you to love him and love others through using your gifts with the gospel as your foundation and your fuel. I'm confident that if you surrender afresh today, he's going to take you on a fulfilling and rewarding journey with him as your power and with him as your guide. So if that's you today, please be sure. Don't don't switch the TV off. Reach out to him as we pray right now. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray together to close our time in God's word today. So Wherever you are, let's just, let's just take a moment to really tune in to God and allow him to move in our hearts. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the wonder of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that the gospel is everything. The gospel is the fuel. The gospel is our foundation. The gospel is our power. And it's the very thing that leads us to live the kind of gospel-fueled, gospel-centered life. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that whether we're seeking today and we want to reach out for you for the first time, or Lord, whether we're just wanting to recommit ourselves to you afresh this morning and play our part in your church, in seeing your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and playing our small part in that, God, we pray that we would find you, that we, when we reach out, we would find you. We would hear your voice. We would experience your presence. And as we do that, Lord, we would be transformed, that you would bring the gospel home to our hearts, either for the first time or for the 15,000th time, Lord. And as it comes home to our hearts, that it would take root and that it would cause beautiful gospel-centered fruit to grow out of our lives so that we would be people who would truly live empowered by the gospel and live in light of the gospel and then our actions and our hearts and every aspect of us would be shaped and we would serve you in response to the gospel. We thank you, God, and we pray that you would have your way in every single person, no matter whether they're reaching out to you for the first time right now or whether we've reached out to you many times and we're recommitting ourselves to you right now. We thank you, Jesus, that you are never far from those who want to connect with you. So we choose to reach to you today. Have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.